Hello, good people, or bad people, or whoever the fuck is listening. This is Brian Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. Today, we are going to talk about prisons. It kind of meshes with some of our latest episodes. Um, we're going to talk about prisons as a whole. We're probably going to touch on privatized prisons and just the, the prison industrial complex and, you know, what they're doing to make money off of incarcerating our citizens. As always, Darren Jolly is with me here today. Hello, medium people. <laughs> um, so prisons, you know, I used a, a stat in one of the latest episodes and I said, we have 25% of the prison population, even though we only have like 5% of the total global population. Um, and that, that stat could be wrong. It could be right, but, you know, there's some of them out there say 20, some say 22, you know, some say 25. So I'm going to give you more, some raw numbers so that you can decide what the percentages are. And I also want to make one thing perfectly clear is that when they use those numbers, they're saying incarcerated people. Okay, so if they pulled the numbers on a Friday and there were a bunch of people in the drunk tank at the city jail, plus all of the people at the state prison, they're going to use both those numbers. Now, those people in the drunk tank might get out the next day or on Monday um, because city and county jails are short-term fixes. So generally the way it works is if you're in a city jail, you wait. If your uh, crime was bad enough, then you go to county jail. And then from county jail, if your crime was bad enough, you're going to go to a state prison. Um, generally, the way it works is a county will only keep you for a year. If, you're, if your sentence is to be longer than a year, then you need to go to prison and not jail. So I wanted to clear that up because that number you know, the 25% number, the 20% number, the number that I used to scare you guys the other day is including all of those people, you know, from the, the one that's just in overnight to the one that's there for a week to the one that's on death row to the one that is, you know, serving a 40 year sentence. So, um, Wanted to clear that up real quick. That probably doesn't talk about the people that are on the fringes of it either. The people that, you know, like halfway house concepts, like whether or not, you know, I mean, because even if you're not in a, in a prison proper, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are spaces where you're, you're sort of like living on the edge of those. Well, so that sort of depends because a lot of the numbers that you pull from the state um, will include parolees. Um, so while they're on parole. Right. Okay. Um, which would include halfway houses, but a lot of the states do things differently. Like last night I was looking up numbers and I pulled numbers from 
the state of California, they've got a total of 96,719 people that are incarcerated. The state of Florida, which is the largest state agency in Florida, the Department of Corrections, and the third largest prison system, has 82,027 people incarcerated. Now, California, they say that they included the parole numbers. Florida didn't say. Um, the state of New York made it incredibly difficult to pull the numbers. Um, what was the site you used to pull off of? Their sites. No, so, okay. Department of Corrections for... Right, right. And I've got a lot of other numbers that I pulled from the Bureau of Prisons, which is the, the federal agency that handles federal prisons. Um, fuck, I just went brain dead. I have no idea what I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. So, um, in 2019, Pew Research did a study, and they said that basically 639 people for every 100,000 in the United States were incarcerated. Um, that put us number one in, in the, the world. And the top five rounded out with Cuba, Rwanda, um, one of the Istans, I think it was Turkmenistan. Um, so yeah, we're, we're number one and it was Turkmenistan and El Salvador. So that rounded out the top five. And I don't know if I really want to be in the company of Rwanda when it comes to incarceration and, and punishment. You know, another thing, we're we're about six minutes deep now, and I think that it's important because when we go back to our forefathers and, and when the United States was started, there was a big debate among the politicians then, probably as as it is now, which is the difference between punitive and rehabilitative. Um, people from other countries actually came over and, and looked at our prison system because they thought we were doing such a bang-up job. And <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Either way, it seems like we have switched more to the storing of prisoners and the punitive type of thing as opposed to rehabilitating these people programs to help train them so that they could maybe get a job when they get out have been eliminated maybe not entirely but you know they're slowly going away ged programs and things like that so i i don't know if if you want to talk about it we'll talk about it but well, I think I don't think there's a way that you can deny the importance of that because when you're you're sort of getting into that question of what you know whether it's punitive or, or, or corrective or rehabilitative you know whatever the the term is that you're using uh, I mean this is a, another theme that that sort of keeps coming up is is the uh, idea 
what is the what is the purpose of what it is that you're trying to when you put a person in prison what are your intentions are you trying to get that person to uh, to see the error of their ways you know are, you you think that they're committing some sort of like antisocial act are you, are they doing things in that sort of like again that sort of like Kantian like if you imagine everybody does it does society fall apart kind of thing um, is, is that your intention or is is your intention to uh, to 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 make money out of it to to not deal with the problem and, and 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 maybe maybe I shouldn't be so reductionist in relation to it. Maybe it's just that we don't know how to deal with rehabilitation, or we, it just takes a lot of energy and a lot of thought and a lot of creative social activity to be effective if you're going to try to uh, you know help people. Um, and it's a lot easier to just sort of lock them into that sort of revolving door of of a of a system where. Uh, you, you're just sort of assuming that once a person goes down that road, they're probably going to just keep going down that road. Well, and it's it's tough too. I mean, I had a friend. Well, actually, you're the friend, but um, what did I do? You uh, you introduced me to a friend of yours, and we were talking about that guy down in Arizona. Remember Sheriff Crazy Joe? And he had that big outside prison, and he was basically treating everybody like shit and leaving them out in the hot sun and making them walk around in their underwear and, you know, just all of this stuff. And that guy that you introduced me to thought that Crazy Joe was great and he was doing all of these good things for Phoenix, Arizona. And... Who the hell did I introduce you to that would have said something like that? I don't... I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um... Anyway, I, I tried to explain to him that, and this is another problem with the prison system, is that, you know, a lot of these people, like Crazy Joe was locking up people that shoplifted for like a year. Well, if it's a kid who just stole something because, you know, they were trying to get a thrill or they wanted a new shirt and couldn't afford it, whatever. Or maybe they were hungry. Well, and that was the the example that I gave your friend is that a lot of these people that are shoplifting, they're not doing it for fun. They're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they need to eat. And if that's the case, then punishing them isn't going to stop them when they get back out because they still are going to need to eat. And that goes the same with the the drug thing. You know, a lot of these people are selling drugs because they need money to buy food or they need money to pay rent or whatever. So, you know, the Bureau of Prisons currently has 45.2% of the prison population, which works out to 66,589 people that are in there for drug offenses. Um, If that person was dealing drugs because they needed to help support their family, not that they were a kingpin, because I think, you know, they've got Chapo at the Supermax down in Florence. You know, he was making billions of dollars. We can pretty much assume that most of the people we're talking about aren't super. Are not. Are not at Superman. Right. And they are not kingpins. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's somebody that can't be rehabilitated 
or can't be punished, that can't be broken out of them, that, that punishment. More than likely, they are going to become recidivists. I mean, they're going they to repeat. To yeah, they still have to survive. Yeah. They don't have the, the wherewithal to uh, to come out of prison. And obviously, once you once you have charges in your background, you're, you're required to declare those things. It makes it very difficult to get a job, particularly depending on the level of the charge. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's just no yeah no way that uh, that we're ever really addressing any of the, the the questions that you're you're posing with regards to I mean you use the term recidivism I mean yeah it's going to keep keep I mean there's a reason why they call it a revolving door and it isn't just because I mean it's it's easy for a person to sit at home who's never had to negotiate that kind of a question um, to say. They're lazy, you know. I'm gonna let you know on a little secret. Uh, committing criminal acts can be uh, tiring, and you have to be pretty thoughtful. You have to develop uh, strategies. It's work, you know. Um, people that do that stuff are not always necessarily whatever it is that you want to brand them as. Um, but no, and dealing drugs is fucking hard yeah. because not only do you have to come up with strategies, but most of the time. You end up with some dildo calling you 24 hours a day because they want drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not a lot of free time as a drug dealer. I created a post myself. It was only, it was only a few people, you know. But of course, like it wasn't at the beginning, right? You have to go through your uh, uh, your learning process where. And I did get arrested, you know, once. And I ended up not, luckily, not getting uh, thrown in jail uh, for any number of reasons in relation to it because it was actually our buddy, a kid that we grew up with around the corner of us that sold the, sold the quarter pound of weed to the, the, the cop um, because the contingency of me being involved was that I wasn't going to touch anything. He, he had to be the one. But either way, um, yeah, I had to go through those learning curves to, to figure out how to do it properly. And it is work, no matter what anybody wants to wants to say. So. Well, and even shoplifting is work. And I'm, I'm not trying to glorify drug dealers or, or people that steal or burglars, which is also stealing. But I'm, I'm not trying to glorify those people or let them off the hook. You know, I, I do believe we have these laws for a reason. And I would be pissed if somebody broke into my house and stole my TV or whatever, right? Um, and I would want them to be punished. But there's, there's a, again, there's a difference between punishing someone and rehabilitating them. And I don't know which is right. And, and Ben Franklin didn't know which was right. You know, he, what he what had... He had a hard time with it, and he thought that rehabilitation was more what we needed to do, if I'm thinking about it correctly. And I can't remember who was arguing, because back then, they had, like, the the new form of prison was where they didn't have everybody chained together, and they didn't make everybody be quiet. Um, you know, there was more freedom within said prison 
And so that was one of the reasons that a lot of people were impressed. But then again, they were impressed with, you know, silence all the time too. So, you know, I don't want to move to a place where we're locking people down for 23 hours a day. I think that that falls under cruel and unusual punishment. I had a buddy that was in prison for about a year and a half, and it was, it was one of those 23-hour lockdowns. Thanks, brutal. No, yeah, no, no, no. dude. I mean, I don't know. You just end up seeing a fucking guard through a slot on the door. His, his So when he was in there, his cellmate got a staph infection, and he ended up getting a staph infection. And then the only time that they were able to go out, like it spread through the prison like horrible too. So because of the way that they were doing it, it created all these health issues. But I, I don't want the thing. The thing that you were saying um, about uh, we to, to be able to effectively, like you said, we're not glorifying crime. What 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 we we, we do instead is is we try to imagine, you know, empathize with the person to think about how it was they got into a space to, to do what it was uh, that they did. And as we both suggested, you know, some of this uh, isn't uh, empathy that's constructed in the abstract, some of it's rooted in, in lived experience. But uh, I do think that uh, it would make more sense to, to try to rehabilitate, rehabilitate people, but given the structure of the system that we have right now, you know, the the big business inside of uh well and and take the the business part out just for a second because i do want to talk about that but but here's another issue that we talked about in a, a previous episode so the number i gave you for drug offenses in the federal prison system was 45.2 percent the next closest number was weapons charges or explosives and they were at 21.4%. So over, yeah, I mean, that number doubled for the, the drug offenses. If we got rid of the drug offenders, then we could focus on people that actually needed to be rehabilitated. Sorry. Maybe, maybe that is true. Maybe it's not. But it would be easier because the number would come down significantly. Yes, the possibility, uh, at least for refocusing your goals, is, is there. You know, I mean, but of course that takes will. You know, at that point. And uh, again, you, what what is the point of a prison? Is the point of a prison to just to help solve these social problems, or is it a market? You know, is it is it a space where uh, you have these gigantic companies? Like, and, and of course, when you're talking about the prison industrial complex, you're not just talking about, um, you're not just talking about private prisons. Private prisons is just one aspect of an extremely complicated, there's a lot of ways to make money off of spaces like this. Okay, so Ben Franklin, he, and I knew he had something to do with Eastern State Penitentiary, but he was basically, prison was, what did he call it? a place of repentance. So they were in their cells most of the time. And then when they came out, they had hoods over their heads and weren't allowed to talk. So basically he invented the supermax. <laughs> <laughs> so. But it was, it, was grounded, it was grounded in that, that like, like that religious sort of like uh, feeling guilty, 
Bible, yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. There was some of that, that religion there. Hence the repentance thing. Um, yes, and sorry, I did, I know you were on a roll and I interrupted you. I, uh, but yeah, I, I think if we got rid of the, the drug charges, then we could focus more on people that actually needed to be punished and or rehabilitated. But the money wouldn't be there for the private institutions. So you'd have to rethink the logics that drive what it is that you're doing when it comes to prisons in the first place. Before we were starting up, you were talking about uh, an executive order uh, that was signed recently by... Yeah, so Joe Biden um, wrote an executive order last year in January saying that they were not going to renew um, or start new contracts for prisons within the Bureau of Prisons and the Marshals Service. Um, that did not include ICE, which means that really, so if you're an American citizen and you were in the Bureau of Prisons or being held captive by the Marshals Service, uh, you don't have to worry about being in private prison for much longer. But if you are an immigrant from another country, generally the ones south of us, Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, if you are one of those guys, you're fucked. They're holding these people without any due process. And... I'm guessing here, but I'm thinking that they're not going to fucking, you know, send them back to their own countries because the United States is paying them X amount of dollars per day, per body. Um, so now, you know, I'm sorry. I, I know a lot of people hate Mexicans for crossing the border or... And they generally call them Mexicans, but they're not all Mexicans. To be sure. Maybe it's one of those tomato-tomato things, and Hispanic is, is good enough. I don't know, um, because that was another weird thing with the numbers. The Bureau of Prisons, if you looked up numbers by race, the Asians, blacks, Native Americans, and whites were listed. If you looked the numbers up by ethnicity, then it was Hispanic and non-Hispanic. So that means that they broke up, you know, some of those Asians, Blacks, Native Americans, and whites were partially Hispanic. I'm guessing some Cubans and Puerto Ricans were involved. I don't know. Is there a Native American Mexican? Yeah, I don't know. A anyway, so the, the numbers were weird. But what I was getting at is a lot of people in this country hate Mexicans and they think they should be detained and deported and whatever. Meaning that they support these types of activities inside these prisons. Possibly. Or maybe they just don't know what the fuck is going on. Maybe they just want them to be deported. Because, I mean, how would you feel... If you, let's say, things sucked here and we wanted to go to Canada, 
and the Canadians started fucking pulling all Americans into some weird center, you know, where they run you through these chain link fences like cattle and they issue you a number and then you go and lay on a bed that's stacked three high and you eat your meals in there with another 400 people or, or whatever the number is. <laughs> right. But then they figure, well, we're going to go ahead and keep these Americans because they're paying us 27 Canadian dollars per body per day. And if we just stack them, I mean, shit, we're only three beds high now. We could probably go to five. That guy towards the ceiling probably won't be able to sleep on his side, but. And only 16 of them are dying every day. Right. Know? I mean, we, we're, we're, we're taking in 150. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. just like 89%. You know, just, that's, 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 we can handle that. Those numbers are easy. And especially if we split them up and take the kids away from the parents, we can send the kids somewhere else and then we can stack those motherfuckers like nine, ten deep, right? So fuck it. Your, your, your comment about uh, not knowing what's really going on, uh, not understanding the prospect. I mean, there's the stigmatism, you know, people have the idea. Uh, that they, uh, whatever, they, this perception that they dislike a population. Uh, one thing, like, under the Trump presidency, there was this gigantic rhetorical... Brown commentary. hate. Yeah, I mean, it was about, about what was, you know, the, the, the marches coming up from Central America, and they're coming to, you know... But those complexes that were existing on the border, they don't have any, like I think the statistically, at least the information that was made public was that the numbers were higher under Obama, but there were there, there were these reactionary, you know, Democrats saying, you know, Trump, you evil motherfucker, you know, but right. I mean, like Obama's doing a, he has, he, all, all Trump is doing is continuing a policy that, that, that Obama had, had been implementing, you know, and to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I remember at the beginning of, of this this term, you know, they sent Kamala Harris down there. And of course, Kamala she only opens her mouth to change feet, right? She's not very good at that. She she will not she will not be the next president of the United States. I feel like we we, we I'd bet dollars dollars on that one. Um, but uh, again, it was just a continuation of a, of of, of, the, of of the same policy. You know, I mean, we we don't know, and and really because it doesn't affect. The royal we don't, don't in, in terms of the U.S. population doesn't know, and we don't care because right. it's all functioning in the abstract. It doesn't, you know, what like 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 you said, not these not all Mexicans. A lot of those populations that were coming up were coming from Central America. That was, you know, had to do with the drug trade and like the the, the way that these farmers were being coerced to do certain thing with things which made their lives. If you weren't doing them, you were going to get a cat popped in your ass. You know, it was a dangerous, scary thing. So, so you leave to give yourself an opportunity. So really, you're only coming up here. It's like a refugee kind of thing, you know, where you're asking to, to, to establish refugee status. But we don't know. We don't. We don't understand the, the complexities of what these things are that are that are happening. I do think it would be really funny if the Canadians did that to Americans, though, just for the sake of. Historical well, no, but I mean, obviously, we're not running up to Canada, but I mean, so I think the movie Barbed Wire, 
um, <laughs> had a, a similar premise where... Who, who was the star of Barbed Wire? Pam Anderson. Pam Anderson. Wow, that, I'm sure that was like... That she probably got uh, at least considered for some awards. Oh, yeah, that. dude. She won all kinds of awards. It was great. It was Sorry, an awesome I movie. I Best actress. People were running to Canada in that movie. Um, really? Yeah. It, it's it's not going to happen. But if it did, I mean... Why? Why were they running to Canada? Oh, everything... They didn't really get into it a whole lot, but from what I gather, I mean, it was a, a serious dystopian-type movie. Um, so there was something bad happening in the United States. There was this great war that happened. Um, and Canadian soil was really the only place that was safe and free. So that's why. Okay. Um, anyway. Interesting. I'm forced to admit for about two seconds and then regress back into my sarcastic disposition in relation to Sam Anderson's acting career. Yes. It was anyway. a good movie, dude. You know, you shouldn't. Well, I'm still going to make fun of it, dude. I mean, come on. What, what, are, you, what are you supposed to do with what do you always tell me about suspending disbelief? Yeah. No, come on. I even asked. You know. I mean, I was when you said what you said. I was kind of hoping for some sort of significant, like, thoughtful narrative in that moment. You know. So. That was the only thing I could think of where people were leaving the United States to go to Canada. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that the Canadians could do it to us just as easily. And if we were fucking going up there in droves, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, they could just deport us, but if they had an, an institution where they could make money off of it, why wouldn't they? Well, I, like, I don't, you know, Jordan Peterson, I saw you're familiar with him at all. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a douchebag, but he's a, he's an academic from, uh, up in the great white North. And uh, uh, he says all these like really heavy duty inflammatory things about trans populations all the time. He's doing it just to get uh, ratings. Yeah, he's he, he he's trying to produce reactions out of people. Something I wish people would consider more. You know, like uh, not feeding into the stupidity of a person's idiocy. But I could definitely see uh, that douchebag being at the forefront of a you know. These Americans, they're they're going to come up here and they're going to they're going to get all of your kids to transition, you know. And right. so we got to we got to get them all into prisons and stack them sixteen high. And get the kids over here because we can stack them twenty-seven high. <laughs> Jordan Peterson would be a perfect candidate for that type of reactionary policy for sure. I'm certain there's a lot of people out there that would uh, get that. So. Yeah, I mean it's 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 really kind of funny though if you think about it, and this doesn't make what. ICE is doing right. Um, but, you know, so if you're from Mexico, if you're Mexican and you're trying to come here and we treat you badly, you say, why, why would you do that? Why do you treat us like this? We're just people trying to make a better life. But it's funny because Mexico has a similar problem with people crossing over illegally from Guatemala and the Honduras, whatever. And they treat those people like shit. They kick their ass, they put them in prison, they do all kinds of stuff. So it's funny, yes. because really, I guess, anything 
any country that has a border is going to treat whomever is coming over well, like shit. Kind of how that train happened in the first place, like, you know, like the metaphorical train, was that they were kind of trying to push them through, like. When, when the Trump stuff was going on, like they they, they didn't want them, so they were trying to. I, I, I swear I remember. Oh, they they might have. Yeah. I mean, it might have been something similar to what California did with gangbangers in the fucking 80s, where they just their prisons were overflowing and they didn't want to deal with them, so they let most of them out, gave them bus fare, and sent them to places like Denver and Salt Lake City, Portland, Oregon. Um, so maybe the Mexicans did that to, you know, Hondurans and Guatemalans and Costa Ricans and whatever. The thing about the, the, the populations that you're talking about, though, I was going over some stuff last night, um, and uh, this guy, when I was in school still, that I used to read, it's not his name, it's William I. Robinson, he wrote this book called uh, The Global Police State. Um, but one of the things that he talked about um, where he was linking some of the policies that we're talking about in relation to uh, prison industrial complexes is this idea, these ideas called uh, green zones and gray zones. And, and, and the idea is that there's this sort of like concept of like a global social apartheid. And in that space where uh, there's this division between the safe locations and the green zones, right? Which, I mean, of course, that originates from, uh, at least in, in present time, it originates from what was going on uh, in Iraq, too, um, when they had that fortified position in the center of Baghdad, where essentially uh, all the contractors and the, and the people that were that were tied to the U.S. military uh, activity and NATO uh, and forces and the other forces that had come to work with the United States, it was it was a safe space. And it's not just about safety per se; it's about creating commerce in those spaces where you can you can continue to have daily life and. You know, you've got a swimming pool, and you bring in Kentucky Fried Chicken exactly. and Burger King and Pizza Hut. It's, it's, it's normal, you know. But then outside of that cobola of that of that green zone space, you have total fucking chaos, right? And in that area of total chaos, um, one of the terms that uh, Robinson use, uses is uh, surplus humanity. And the idea is that he sort of starts the discussion when he talks about like the rise of automation, but really. Uh, the demand for people to work uh, to extract value so that a person can make money out of their labor is not as great now as it was, say, in the 1800s. So you have this uh, tension in the system where you have the people that work, you have the people that don't work. Um, there's this whole reserve army of labor where you can keep the cost of wages down. Um, but the, the point is, is that it's sort of this dominant uh, space. And in that dominant space, the more that people cannot find uh, a way to reproduce the necessary conditions for them to, sign, to survive on a daily basis, for their children to survive on a daily basis, um, creates certain demands. And those demands, people do some things in response to them. So the idea that uh, Robinson uh, puts forward is with the rise of this uh, surplus humanity, uh, you, you create this space where there's a, an increasing demand for things like prisons, because you're not going to be able to, you know, like if, if, if people, they're like, oh, this whole democracy thing's a sham, you know, this whole uh, concept of opportunity is probably not 
they're not going to help me, you know, then, then people start to do other things. So, and, and this is a, ri a rising, a rising tide, a rising wave. So in that space, it's all, they're, they're, it's all these people who are essentially invisible. They're on the outside and uh, uh, they're going to, you know, I, I just don't see, because of things like that, I don't see prisons. So I don't, I don't think we have any green zones here in the United States per se. I mean, you could say that, you know, definitely there are these large gated communities, you know, that could be green zone-ish. Um, and they have them everywhere. You know, down in Florida, they're on the water. Here, they're in the mountains. Um, in California, they're in the mountains and, and on the water. Um, you know, where these people that spent $25 million on a house are, are sitting behind this gated community with armed guards and, and whatever. That's probably the closest thing we've got to a green zone. He, he talks about tent cities, though. Like, I mean, there, there are some spaces in, in California where, you know, with homeless populations where they're sort of, you know, I mean, we haven't arrived at the level, you know, where you're dealing with slums like you are in India that are, that are, that are so rough and so nasty. Or in Buenos Aires. Yeah, 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 dude. I mean, nasty, brutal in certain spaces. But the seeds are... I mean, I, I, at least I, I, I think you're right that it's not cultivated. And of course, on some level, a person could argue that green zoning is a matter of degree. But the whole concept of those gated communities in the first place. Like, well, they definitely have kept everyone separate for a reason. Um, you know, and the, we're not too fucking far from the tent cities thing. I mean, you know, up there by Red Rocks, all of those parking lots around there people are living in their cars shit loads of really? people are living in their cars around there um, and the parking lots all around there like generally on the hogback yeah the rest area kind of spaces right um, so I mean we're, we're not too far from the tent cities and that was kind of we we went way 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 off topic, but that's kind of what I saw with, you know, my my book idea was all of these poor people figuring out a way to make a living off of taking care of the rich in one way or another, you know, maybe assassinating them, maybe funneling some of their money somewhere else, you know, doing things like that so that they could do things. And it wasn't like money was being passed directly for these jobs, but more along the lines of, well, if a job was done, you know, there may be money involved, but now you had enough food stored for six months or everybody got some kind of place to live, you know, some sort of shelter to keep them out of the storm or anyway, it's rambling in my head. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess that's probably a pretty good place to, to start wrapping it up. I mean, really it is still 
the rich versus the poor, um, you know, green zone or, or not. Um, if you are the son of a, a billionaire or a multimillionaire, you're not going to go to jail for a DUI. Um, if you are the son or daughter of Bob the plumber, you're going to jail for a DUI. Um, if you're the son of a millionaire and your father's running for president, they're not even going to write any stories about your laptop right before the election <laughs> because we believe in democracy. <laughs> so it, it really is the, the rich versus the poor. Um, we're in a, a battle of socioeconomic status. And it, it's, I know everyone says it's a color thing and the mass media lets that message come through because to some degree it is, but the fact is we're, we're poor and that's, that's why. And if we band together, I think we would be so much better off instead of pointing fingers and, you know, using slang and thinking all white people are out to hurt you or all black people are out to hurt you or all Mexicans. Think about the fact that we're all in it together. I mean, I've been beaten by the police more than any black person I know, and I've been in jail more than any black person I know. Um, so, <laughs> you know, what is that? I mean, but even if you take it out of an anecdotal space, like it, it is, it's important to understand, like there's a clear strategy. And yeah, we're, we're, we're tangenting a little bit here. I don't think we tangented too bad though. I mean, I think that the concept of green zoning and, and militarizing communities leading to, to, you know, the demand for prisons is, you know, I mean, it's, it's a systemic kind of thing at that point, but Having said that, uh, there's a reason why the Democratic Party is utilizing uh, the box checking strategy right now. I mean, it, 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 if, if it justifies, there's this rhetorical spaces, you know, opportunity, blah, 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 blah. You check all the boxes. See, we got, we got, we got uh, a gay black person over here. We got a uh, 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 Latino who transitioned you know i mean these these are all (laughs) dude no i would i just thought it was kind of funny because i was looking up all of these prison stats right and i'm pulling reports california was the only one that i pulled where they were bragging about changing their reports so now on the reports for total population it says male female non-binary they're the only ones that do it or the the only ones i found that do it i'm sure that mississippi's right on top of that too tennessee the point is not for us we don't i mean look we we love y'all no matter who you are or what you are i i don't love you more than likely i probably can't (laughs) stand i'll speak i'll speak for myself (laughs) i can't stand either but i do love y'all but the point that Brennan's making is that if you're gonna if you're going to come up against these these power structures, if you speak their language, they're going to incorporate you into that power structure. They don't care what you look like. As a matter of fact, they do care what you look like because if you check enough boxes and it makes it look like they're incorporating people that are alleged, you know, that are sort of identified as past oppressed people, 
then it makes it look like we have this concept called progress, which is, in my estimation, the way that that is being played out, nothing but a bunch of bullshit. So if you're gonna if you're gonna fight, you know, what I identify as transnational capital, you have to understand that the only way that you can do that is by finding people that are like-minded with you, and and banding together with them and, and struggling. So that's fair enough. Um, so just uh, to wrap things up. Drug policy is bad. There's a shitload of people in prison for drugs. Um, I didn't cover any of the numbers as far as race or, or ethnicity, but you know they're high. Um, I was surprised that there were more whites than anybody else in prison um, based on all of the arguments that I hear on the media. Um, so anyway, prisons are bad. Private prisons are worse. We shouldn't be making money off of people's incarceration um, because that just makes you want to keep them incarcerated even longer because we can make more money. Um, and fuck it, let's band together and try to fight these cocksuckers together. I am Brian Courtney with the Short Bus Debate Club. Thanks for listening today. And uh, I'm Darren Jolly. We will talk to you soon.